My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Doreen Bernard and Rebecca Moore about the Mi'kmaq Water Protection Camp that currently stands in the way of the Alton Natural Gas Storage Project in Nova Scotia. The Mi'kmaq people who live in Sibinagadic First Nation in central Nova Scotia first encountered signs of this project when they noticed a new clear-cut by the side of the highway. After some investigation, they discovered that Alton Gas, a subsidiary of giant Calgary-based energy corporation Alta Gas, intends to use large natural salt caverns that are around one kilometer underground to store liquid natural gas. To do this, they need to remove the salt from the caverns. They've been building a pipeline to take water from the Shubenacadie River, transport it about 12 kilometers, run it through the caverns to dissolve the salt, and then transport the salty water, or brine, and dump it back in the Shubenacadie River. The current stage of the project involves doing this to two caverns, though in the longer term it may involve as many as 20. The fact that grassroots people in the closest First Nation had never heard of this project when the work was already underway shows that it had received nothing even close to the free, prior, and informed consent required by the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. The provincial government claimed it had fulfilled its legal duty to consult, a much lower standard even when done right, when it obtained the approval of the Mi'kmaq Rights Initiative, an organization that represents the elected band council leadership of many of the Mi'kmaq communities in Nova Scotia, though not the Mi'kmaq Nation's traditional leadership and not even the band leadership of Sibinakadik. This lack of consent is central to the objections of many Mi'kmaq people who oppose the project, but it is far from their only concern. They're also very concerned about the risks of storing large volumes of liquid natural gas in this way, and about the impact that dumping large amounts of salt water will have on the Shubenacadie River and on the fish and other creatures that call it home. Though there was a provincial environmental assessment, it did not consult local and or indigenous knowledge holders, and opponents argue that its findings and conclusions are flawed in significant ways. Moreover, it has become clear that Nova Scotia currently doesn't produce anywhere near enough natural gas to require a storage facility like the salt caverns. The project only makes sense if understood as a piece of infrastructure preparing the province for large-scale use of hydraulic fracturing or fracking. This controversial, unconventional extraction process involves the high-pressure injection of a soup of chemicals into rock formations to fracture them and force out natural gas that would previously have been unobtainable. There has been grassroots mobilization against it in jurisdictions around the world, and there is currently a moratorium on the practice in Nova Scotia, one after extensive advocacy in earlier years, but opponents of the Alton Gas Facility have seen indications that suggest the province intends to end that moratorium, once again taking resources that still belong to the Mi'kmaq people without their consent, and engaging in environmentally destructive practices. The opposition to the Alton Gas Project has taken various forms. 
One was a legal challenge heard in 2016, which resulted in a ruling that the province had not been procedurally fair in relation to the environmental assessment and appeals of its decisions, but which did not address the question of the government's duty to consult with First Nations. As well, grassroots Mi'kmaq people and their allies have maintained a treaty camp for purposes of land and water defense at the Alton gas site on the Shubenacadie River since Labor Day weekend of 2016. Doreen Bernard is a Mi'kmaq woman of the Otter Clan from Sipanakadik and a residential school survivor, and she describes herself as a grassroots grandmother, a water walker, and a water protector. Rebecca Moore is a Mi'kmaq woman from Picto Landing First Nation and a water protector, and both are participants in the treaty camp. Over the course of their occupation, the water protectors have erected a treaty truck house, engaged in treaty-protected activities like fishing, and regularly conducted ceremony on the site. Public statements by the company indicate that they intend to proceed with the project this year, and the water protectors expect renewed threats to the treaty camp in the spring. They aren't going anywhere, though, and they ask supporters to inform themselves and each other about the issues, and to listen closely for future callouts for support. I spoke with Doreen and Rebecca about the Alton Natural Gas Storage Project, and about the grassroots Mi'kmaq efforts to protect the water and the land. My name is Doreen Bernard. My spirit name is Gizadam Dandali Unui. Um, Otter Clan, Sibanagadic is my homeland. And I'm a grassroots grandmother, water protector, water walker, an advocate, activist. I think we just do what we have to do as women, learning our role as a Mi'kmaq woman and my traditions and my culture after many years going through residential school and the impacts of residential school from my parents and my grandparents who also went to the residential school. So it was much later in life that we started to embrace our culture, learn these things and heal. My name is Rebecca Moore. I am a member of Picto Landing First Nation. My spirit name is Wala Glohoedge. I'm actually a direct descendant of the treaty, our Peace and Friendship Treaty of 1752. And I personally live on the Red Road and I do take my inherent duty as a water protector, as a woman, seriously. And I do live by that. So staying on the Shubenacadie River and preventing any harm to it is just a way of life. We are in Mi'kma'ki territory. It's the Atlantic coast. The five Atlantic provinces are Mi'kma'ki territory, unceded Mi'kma'ki territory. And we live in the district of Sibinagadi. And it's the Sibinagadi River that goes through our land, goes through the whole province of Nova Scotia, from the Bay of Fundy right out through to Halifax, to the harbor. So this river that we're protecting is our, our lifeline and has always been our lifeline for the last 13,500 years for the Mi'kmaq people. There's seven districts in Mi'kma'ki. There's four districts in Nova Scotia alone. And the rest of the districts are in New Brunswick, in Quebec, Gaspé, and Picto in PEI. And our lands go down to Massachusetts. There's a Watertown Treaty that was signed with the Mi'kmaq in Massachusetts as well. And we have Mi'kmaq people in Maine, Northern Maine. The Mi'kmaq Nation has a Peace and Friendship Treaty with the British Crown which Canada falls under their jurisdiction still to this day. Those peace and friendship treaties is where our inherent rights lie. 
because our ancestors did a very good job at encompassing all of our inherent rights in those. And those treaties took 25 years to ratify. So our rights to trade and to sell our wares and to the land and our fishing and hunting and all of that lies within that treaty. And international treaty law supersedes Canadian law. Mi'kmaq Nation is a nation not of Canada. It's a nation of its own via international treaty law. So Mi'kmaq Nation is actually on the same level as Canada governance-wise, really. So international treaty law supersedes Canadian law. That is why we have our rights to assert. That is why we can go on the river and stay there. And that's our main tool that we have to protect the land and water. The UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People is the instrument that we are using to assert our treaty under free, prior, informed consent where any, any corporations that come into our land and want to desecrate our land or our water. The Mi'kmaq treaties are the strongest treaties in Canada, where we didn't cede any land. They're peace and friendship treaties that were meant to stop a war. And we are to be able to live on our lands, and we even have the rights to build treaty truck houses, anywhere where we want to set up a place for trade. And we built one on the Shubanagiri River, right next to the Alton Gas Project, where the brining site is. So this project is a two-pronged project, where one part of the project is to solution mine salt caverns that are a kilometer underground, and the resulting brine wastewater from that process will be pumped back down to the Shubanagiri River and dumped into the river, directly into the river. They think that they can do this and not have any impact on the species that live in the river and the water in our Shubanagiri watershed. This is a natural gas storage project. So what Alton Gas wants to do is they want to store natural gas in those salt caverns, but there's currently salt in there, so they have to remove the salt. So they pump a bunch of water down and uh, dilute the salt, and then they take that brine, that diluted salt, and they pump it right out into the river. So then they empty out these salt caverns, and then they want to store their natural gas in those salt caverns. At first, they proposed four caverns. For some reason, one of them failed. It was too close to the edge of their property is what they said. And another one, I guess they didn't find the salt deposit strong enough in that area. So they decided that they were going to do two. But their overall project is a 50-year project. And they're talking about 15 to 18 of these salt caverns. They're as big as 10-story tall office building size, holes in the ground, with millions and millions of liters of the salt brine that's going to be gradually released into the river over, over years. And that also begs the question, too, of where's all this gas going to come from? We know now that this Alton Gas Project is a part of one big fracking plan that the Nova Scotia government has. What this really is, is they're creating the infrastructure for fracking. Right now in Nova Scotia, there's currently a moratorium on fracking. Nova Scotians have worked really hard to keep fracking out of Nova Scotia, and the government is trying to work really hard right now to remove that ban on fracking. And they're going ahead on projects already that are for fracking, even though we still currently have a moratorium. 
that's what this Alton Gas Project is because there's not enough natural gas in Nova Scotia currently to fill all of those slow caverns. So this is the infrastructure for fracking. This is the Nova Scotia government trying to convince Nova Scotia that fracking here is a good plan. I recently went to the Maritime Energy Association's annual general meeting, and I was the only First Nations person there, and they weren't planning on me being there. But what I saw was I saw the Nova Scotia Minister of Energy and Industry very much in cahoots. And I saw the Minister of Energy basically apologizing to industry for having a ban on fracking at this time. And they said that they look forward to the conversation of fracking. And so they're really trying to push the idea of fracking in Nova Scotia right now. So this Alton Gas Storage Project, it's a lot bigger than what it seems, because that's one of the main places where they plan to store their fracked gas. And I also saw the Minister of Energy. So like Nova Scotia is the only province in Canada that is 95% reliant on coal right now. And I saw the Minister of Energy say things like coal is here to stay and it's not going anywhere. And, you know, that they're looking forward to the discussions on fracking and very little to no mention of clean, sustainable energy. So it's very apparent the direction that our government here in Nova Scotia is going. Tell me about the process that led to the water protection camp at the Alton Gas Brining site. We weren't consulted in our community about this project until seven years after the start of this project. So we found out about this project the same way as anybody else would find out. Driving along the uh, 102 highway, we noticed that there was a clear cut going on. And the next time I'm driving by, I see them putting pipes in. And then we find out that these pipes are going straight down to the Shubanagity River. And they set up the Alton Gas brining site where we are today. We stopped traffic on the highway. We put up a teepee on the side of the highway and we gave out flyers and pamphlets to let Nova Scotians know that this was happening in Nova Scotia. They didn't know either. Nobody knew. It wasn't something that they announced. We didn't know about it. They never came to our community. And we sure as hell weren't informed by the government or the company. At that time, our chief, Chief Capage at Subanagadi, they filed in court that there was no consent. There was no consultation done at all with our community. It took a year for this court case to go through. What happened was the judge didn't do no stop work orders to Alton Gas or the uh, Department of Environment. What he essentially did was say that there was not procedural fairness in the environmental assessment process. And he returned the environmental assessment back to the minister, which is still sitting on his desk. He has not had any meetings. There has been nothing going on in our community to say that they reviewed this 10-year-old environmental assessment that we had questioned very much about the validity of the science that was done how they came to say that there was only a couple of tommy cod in our river and the fish counts that they had in our river were pretty ludicrous. There was no traditional science, traditional knowledge science. There was no local knowledge science from the fishers that fished the river. They weren't consulted either. So a lot of the things that they did, we questioned and we brought before the court. That's the court case where the Nova Scotia government's lawyer got up and said that the Mi'kmaq are conquered peoples and we don't have to consult with them. 
And that's false, by the way. And why would they even allow something like that to be even stated in a court at this day and age? Our treaties are the strongest. We've won several cases of fishing, hunting, yet the lawyer was able to say that. Mind you, he was let go from the case after that. And Stephen McNeil, the premier of Nova Scotia, apologized to the Mi'kmaq for what happened in court. Mind you, he didn't come to Sibonegadic to our community or apologize to our chief because we are not part of the Mi'kmaq Rights Initiative, the negotiation table that is currently taking place in Nova Scotia. Our band left that table 2015. We call it a termination table where they're terminating our rights in exchange for a modern day treaty. Out of 13 bands in Nova Scotia, the Sibonegative band is the only band that is not part of that process. And we are in the process of defining our own consultation process. Not to mention that these are Indian Act chiefs that think that they have the right to modernize our treaties. And they don't because they are employees of the Canadian government themselves. Traditionally, we have seven traditional districts with seven traditional chiefs. And in Nova Scotia alone, which is only a fraction of our traditional territory, we have 13 chiefs. And these are all employees of the Canadian government. So when the Canadian government goes and does consultation with the INAC, Indian and Northern Affairs Canada, Indian Act chiefs, it really is just the Canadian government doing consultation in and amongst itself with its own Canadian government employees. That's not even our traditional nation. So these INAC chiefs don't even have the rights to modernize our treaties. Our treaties were ratified through the Wabanaki Confederacy and our traditional government structures still stand. So there's a lot of like smoke and mirrors going on that the government pulls to do their consulting and those sort of things. And tell me more about the camp itself. We set up the Treaty Truck House on Labor Day weekend in 2016. We did a sacred fire. We did ceremony there. We asked our ancestors for help. The women, we prayed. The grassroots people from the Sibonagadic area, our allies from the city, from all around, came together and they carried every stick of wood across that dike to build a treaty truck house on the weekend. There was over 100 people there. We were building a treaty truck house next to the fence of the Alton gas site to say that we are asserting our treaty rights to this land. That weekend, we put out seven eel traps along the Nixon Channel. We set traps there and said that we are treaty fishing. This is our right. We're going to treaty fish right here. Last fall, people came and they built a straw bale home. So we have a home there. It's off grid, of course. Yeah, um, solar It's right power. inside the gate, looking out, telling them they can't come through. It has several bunks in there. It has a wood stove. And we have lots of support from community and from our allies all over Nova Scotia that bring supplies, donate supplies, funding for supplies for food, for wood, any kind of things that are needed for the camp. And we have a rotating shift of people that come in to stay at the river and to protect the water and be there on call. Should any of the Alton Gas personnel show up, people are called to come to the gate. Everybody's on standby and on call if they should try to push through with any heavy equipment. That's where it stands right now. So like a typical day at the treaty camp looks like, you know, we cook, clean, we run ceremony, we sing songs, like trade songs, learn songs, teach songs. 
we bead, we trade items, we meet, we gather, we talk. There's hunting and fishing going on along there. We're always on the lookout for Rob Turner, (laughs) the (laughs) vice president, the face of Alton Gas. So that's kind of a typical day. Over the course of this time, Alton Gas was going to the local non-native communities and donating money to their fire departments, building playgrounds, and, you know, seeming to get their support. They didn't come into our community to meet or to offer anything until after the court hearing. They came and said that they wanted to do an impact benefit agreement. They put together potential benefits for the community and presented that to the band. And they wanted an answer. They wanted a letter of support from the band at that point. We're talking about building, you know, senior housing. I don't know. There were several things in there. I called it a Mickey Mouse wish list that they were putting forward. And it wasn't something that anybody could vote on because, you know, it was just a potential. It was just something that they said we might be able to do. And based on that, they actually wanted the community to vote on this. We had a community info session, I called it, where 48 people said no, they would not agree to an impact benefit agreement or any of the things that were stated in it. And there was 38 that said yes. We felt that that was good enough to say that no, our community is not supporting this. Doreen went on to describe various possibilities that were discussed for a more formal vote in the community on the impact benefit agreement, none of which have ever been held and which are not likely to be at this point. We told Alton Gas they don't have the permits, they don't have the social license, they don't have our free prior informed consent. That's where we stand, and they're not going to get that. And they stand on the other side waiting to get the final approvals. Of course, like I said, the environmental assessment has been called into question. Since then, in the last year, two, two years, Sibonegadic has been doing science along the river. They've tagged fish, they're monitoring the amount of the species of bass. This river is one of the prime spawning rivers for striped bass. And the salmon, the eel, there's many species that our <coughs> river supports. So we really believe that it's worth saving. We tried to get this river designated as a critical habitat for those species to give it the protection that it needs. I would like to see the Shibanagati River get human rights, the same rights as people. What's your plan moving forward and what can people do to support you? For me, number one is educating and for sharing the knowledge. So when you become aware to speak that and to educate your peers on that and about fracking in general and also about treaty rights. The um, desecration of Mother Earth, the violence against Mother Earth to us is the same as the violence against women. We see what's happening across the world to Indigenous women. Because Indigenous women are the frontline protectors of the water. This is our responsibility as women. Being given the gift to bring forth life, we've also been given that responsibility to protect the water. And when we see across the world where the lands and waters are being desecrated by corporations, pollution, it's the women that are the ones that are dying, the ones that are being raped and murdered. 
We see the impact from the corporations who have man camps for workers that work in those industries and what they do to the people all around them. And it's the women and girls that are the most impacted. There are parallels between what happens to our lands and what happens to our women. And we need to address that across, not just here in Mi'kma'ki, but it's across the land, across Turtle Island. But when you look at these companies that are in Honduras, in Guatemala, in Bolivia, and all around the world, Canadian corporations that are desecrating the lands of Indigenous peoples. Mm -hmm. And we have to look at the bigger picture. It's not just here on a smaller level. This is across the board. And we have to look at the impacts to human rights, but also the impacts on the rights of Mother Earth as well. This is only one company. There's other things that are coming down the line today where our people will be setting up camps to stand in front of them until we see what damage, what these companies are about and what they're going to be doing or what their plans are. I think that when the chiefs make decisions to agree to open up an, an old mine like the Donkin mine that was closed since 2001 and then they reopened that mine. To me, it was really sad that they negotiated to get royalties. And they were really proud that there was the first time in Nova Scotia where a corporation was going to give royalties to the Mi'kmaq. Our band, Sabanagadik, is not part of that deal because we don't belong to that negotiation table. But it was done without the uh, input from the grassroots people, from the people whose rights that they're negotiating. I was really upset about them making that kind of deal when they can find companies that will put in solar farms or wind energy and look at other ways of creating jobs, you know, creating uh, economy and to look at sustainable energy. And we aren't against progress, you know, no. it's just that we have different ideas of what progress looks like. For us, it's not about the almighty dollar. For us, it's about sustainability. And I believe that us as the human race, should be looking at sustainability as the real value here and not just the dollar sign because fossil fuels and everything, we're working against ourselves as a people here where we know fossil fuels aren't sustainable and we keep building a society that relies on it. If they came to us with clean, sustainable solutions, we would be all for it. We would celebrate it. We would be, you know, first in line. But the reality is that they keep taking from the earth. They keep on destroying. They keep poisoning it poisoning our lands and we have to live here all of us have to live here forever and all of our grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so on and you know what's going to be left for them and that's our main concern here it's not about money it's about sustainability you have been listening to my interview with doreen bernard and rebecca moore about the grassroots Mi'kmaq resistance to the alton natural gas storage project in nova scotia to learn more about the struggle, search for official page for Treaty Truck House Against Alton Gas on Facebook, or go to the site of a Halifax-based solidarity group at stopaltongas.wordpress.com. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. 
Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.